the galaxy burns. The heretic falls. And the emperor protects. Welcome, Imperial citizens, to the Emperor Protects. My name is Doug with 2 Plus Tough, along with my co-host, Dan, with Cubic Shenanigans. How you doing, buddy? Doing great, my friend. Yeah, and so this is our um, Horus Heresy podcast, where we go through the books so that you don't have to. And uh, (laughs) we have one today that uh, really took me by surprise. So if you're just joining us, we've been going through some of the origin stories of the various legions. Then we'll get to the protracted battles later on. And last time we did Blood Angels, which I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Had did mm-hmm. no idea that I was going to like them as much as I did. And then uh, this week we are getting a, a little gross with it, and we're getting some Death Guard. And so, yep. uh, Dan, you want to introduce us to the books we're talking about today? Yep, so it's called The Buried Dagger. Mm-hmm. And it is the last regular Horus Heresy book before the Siege of Terra series starts. So mm-hmm. um, it really is a story that is about the preparation for the invasion of Terra and in it, Mortarian of the Death Guard are changed forever. And I think, again, it should be considered as a prologue to the siege of Terra. Yes. Um, if, if you don't read any other or listen to any other heresy books before you do the siege, you should do this one. It's re- I think it's very important. It's yeah. also neat because it's really three stories in one. It's a trifecta yeah. of heresy here. We got the fall of the Death Guard, we get surprisingly, I don't know about you, but I had totally forgotten from reading it that it was Mortarian's origin story as well, yes. which is really cool. And then we have all the pre-invasion action on Terra, which ends up being a second origin story, which we will talk about. Yeah, so, and, and that's why this book fits so well into our like introducing, even though it stretches from like late heresy to the door of Terra. I mean, Mortarian's mm-hmm. out there fighting the heresy as well, but like... That span of time is is the rebirth of this legion into what we know them as, and so uh, very fitting that his origin story and their collective origin story is actually the same book. I like it quite a bit. Yes, um, yes. I normally would sit here and, and talk about listener mail, and we only had one um, request for us, and I forgot to mention to you this before. But basically, this wonderful listener on YouTube suggested that we sometimes pick a favorite quote from a book, if we have one. Okay. And uh, I'm going to start doing that in the future. I have one for this one. Um, Okay. But we had to reschedule so many times, I totally forgot to tell you. (laughs) No, it's okay. Um, But I have a book for this one, or a quote for this one, so I'm going to go ahead and read that right now to set the tone for Buried Dagger. Okay. And... Okay, here's my quote. I want to tell you, uh, tell me if you agree with this is the theme of the book. Quote, the universe showed him a pitiless truth. The final battle need not be one of sword and fire. It must only be a war of will. The inexorable entropy of all things ranged against the bitter rage of life forever screaming into the darkness. That is a, that is a Nurgle thesis statement. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. I do actually have, I think it's a quote from Nurgle himself. I think as I'm looking through the notes, and I've only got a few quotes in here, but I think it's it really ties in closely to what you just read about. Mm-hmm. And it was it was the moment of apotheosis for um, Mortarian, but you know it's Nurgle speaking to him. And he's... He says, to defeat death, you must become it. 
to endure beyond all, you must submit. If you wish to be granted deliverance from your agony, you must surrender your soul. And you're, people are like, well, you know, of course, that Nurga would say that. But I think it's almost like you can hear every single Primark that fell to chaos hearing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yield. <laughs> you have to bow. <laughs> you know, that's it. You want to be delivered? Or granted this, you one price. The only thing you got to do is give me your soul, and it's yeah. all over. It's good. It's fair. We're good. We're all right. So yeah, those are so. our quotes for Barry Dagger. I like it. Um, so with the topic introduced and the book, uh, Dan, uh, we both read Barry Dagger, but you went ahead and re- reread a short story that connects to it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mm-hmm. want to do that now or at the end? I think now is good in terms awesome. of context. Later I think in. if you. Um, it's from a series called Heralds of the Siege. It's an anthology of uh, pre right pre uh, siege bo- uh, stories, but I would highly recommend Heralds of the Siege. Or just some other. There's a one story called uh, Myriad, which takes place on Mars after uh, the Fabricator General has turned to chaos, and it deals with something that the, the rebels who are still fighting chaos have discovered. Uh, but the story we're going to talk about is exocytosis. And it takes place on a planet called Zeramunda. And interestingly enough, it's a planet that's being used as a base by Luther's Dark Angels. Mm-hmm. Not the Dark Angels, but his breakaway faction. Yeah. And he was surprised because this contingent of Death Guard led by Typhon arrived and requested assistance to repair their damaged ship, the Terminus Est. Right? And so the Death Guard, Death Guard set up a base... But it was kind of interesting because they were very cloistered. Like they didn't want anybody coming near their base, including the Dark Angels. You know, when Typhon needed something, he asked for it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there was no communication between uh, the Death Guard and the Dark Angels. And so Luther was like, I need to know what's going on. So he sent one of his captains on kind of a scouting mission towards the camp. And in the meantime, at the camp a group of locals had arrived at the gates of the Death Guard and demanded to see Typhus. And Typhon's like, "What are you? who are they talking about? Like, is, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on. And right before that, it actually in the story it talked about, he had noticed some subtle changes to his body. He noticed these little tiny triangular kind of lesions on his skin, he noticed there were some flies hovering around. And he also kind of felt like he'd had an energy drink, you know? <laughs> he felt very more he got than his a vitamin B12 does. shot. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, and he's also, of course, as always, when before these things happen, he's he's hearing voices. He doesn't really know what they are, he doesn't understand them. Well, or does he? You know, that's the thing. Um, and we'll find that out when we, we read the story, but so one of the locals also says they've heard voices and that they've been given gifts. And Typhon notices they have flies buzzing all around them and they have these little lesions on their skin that are similar to his. And they tell Typhon, hey, the grandfather told us you would be coming. And again, Typhon is just totally confused. He has no idea what these people are talking about. Mm-hmm. So this Dark Angels captain who was sent to scout out, he's watched the pilgrims as they approach the camp. And he noticed they kind of seemed festive and happy. And you're thinking, okay, that's 
that's Nurgle, right? <laughs> it's, you know, the grandfather, hooray! If there's that's, humans that's having a good time in 40K, it's usually Nurgle, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So he actually sees these people as they're walking, becoming plague zombies. Like, he sees their true form. And obviously, being a dark angel from a planet that is, at its core, chaos, he recognizes instantly that this is something from chaos. And the weird thing is that Typhon doesn't see it. He yeah. still sees these people as people. There's like this aura that they're emanating that kind of covers what's going on. So the Dark Angel, of course, seeing chaos in its most grotesque form, attacks these plague zombies. No discussion. Right. Yeah. No, of course. He he's teases into it. And of course, Typhon is just enraged, right? And he tries to defend these civilians. And he becomes so enraged that he actually transforms into something else for a few moments. He just feels power and he feels himself physically swelling up and just becoming this different being. And he easily, really, after he becomes this other thing, he kills the Dark Angel. Transforms back into Typhon. But <laughs> he still doesn't see the locals as what they are. Mm. Um, and really interesting how this, the other thing we see here is that Typhon knows that there's something inside of him now. He's very much aware of it. And yeah. he knows that it's something he wants, honestly. He can tell. He just, that power that he felt, even for that brief amount of time, was so invigorating. And so, I, I don't know what the other word would be. Um, yeah, I mean, so, invigorating, empowering. I mean, he... Yeah. yeah. And, and so he goes back to the Terminus S, and he knows there's something not right. He just knows. And there's also a point where there's like he presses his finger or something. I can't remember exactly, but it's like he presses his finger and this black fly comes out from under his skin and like <laughs> flies away. And you're going, oh, God. Oh, God. No. And <laughs> totally <the> normal. Worst, <laughs> the worst part is he calls his inner circle of Marines in for a ride of the cups, which is something that the Death Guard have done forever. Yes. Where basically Mortarian or whoever the leaders are, they gather around, they make this horribly toxic, poisonous concoction, and they pour it into everybody's cup and then they all drink it, you know, just as a sign of strength and endurance and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. So the difference here is, though, that Typhon placed a drop of his tainted blood into each one of those compatriots' bowls. Yes. So this is the beginning. This is something you don't read about. If you don't read Exocytosis, you don't really know how he came to this point. So I think it, it was pretty important. All right. Oh, yeah. so, I agree. So now we're on the planet Enix. We're at the beginning of the Buried Dagger now. Yes. And the Death Guard have been sent to destroy the inhabitants. It's a really weird planet where it's all this lava and smoke and toxic fumes. Oh, okay, that's not Death Guard or anything, right? No, no, no. And Mortarian's confused, though, why he was sent and his legion was sent because he's almost feeling as though he was manipulated by Horus 
Yeah, the book starts with a very deep air of mistrust, and I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, he, he's like, you know, and, and here's the weird thing. He, um, Mortarian is Mr. I despise all things the warp, right? I, I despise all things warp tainted. Um, but he's also very aware of the Pantheon, we find out. He's actually engaged in Warcraft himself. Mm-hmm. Warcraft. And he's actually, we hear a name we have not heard since Eisenstein, which is Grolgor, if you recall, when we did that, listeners. Uh, Grolgor was uh, a death guard who fought against Garrow and his party and was tossed out into space and then brought back again. And it turns out that Mortarians brought him back twice from from death. And he's just this thing, this this massive, horribly mutated, you know, Nurgle giant ogren kind of thing mm-hmm. um, that he keeps imprisoned on his ship. Um, and yes. So like, he found a demon and bound it and is like, I don't buy into any of this chaos stuff. You know, what? Are you, <laughs> what? what? Yeah, exactly. You're going, <laughs> what, what is this guy's problem? So he... He absolutely, you can tell, he, at least in his own mind, he remains committed to purging the galaxy of everything warp-tainted yes. after they've ended the Emperor. That's going to be his goal, is to get rid of all the warp stuff. And we hear a large part of this part of the story through the voice of Morag, who's Mortarian's equerry, and kind of serves as his remembrances and stuff. He's kind of observing more than anything else. And there is a... Assault on the planetary citadel, the dark, the Death Guard encounter this really powerful psyker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the fight, Mortarian gets the news that there are Death Guard vessels coming back into the system. And he's about to end the enemy psyker, and all of a sudden, Typhon and his boys just whoo, they teleport in. Typhon kills this thing. And you get this very palpable tension that goes on in the conversation between Typhon and Mortarian. Right away, you know that they're best buddies, but they're not. Yeah, there's a lot of history there. And we're going to talk about that, right? Yes. And so, uh, you know, Mortarian's like, why did you come back now? You took off with your fleet to do whatever you wanted to do. I didn't ask any questions. And now you come back, all of us. And what's that about? And... uh, (laughs) Again, it was like he didn't really say anything, but he also, after they killed all the inhabitants on this planet, Typhon walked back out on the surface because they were kind of in this underground cavern. And he does the release the black fly thing from his skin again. Yeah. And before before they leave the planet, everybody's wrapping up, all the Death Guard are getting ready to go. There's a little mention in the book that even though the Death Guard that they were there. They knew everything was dead. They thought they saw stuff kind of stirring in the clouds of toxic mist. You're going, oh god, okay. Yep. Oh boy, here we you go. Start paying attention. <laughs> and so, the other thing that is important in this story is that Erebus has also given Typhon a set of data crystals that he is kind of clandestinely distributing throughout the the Death Guard fleet. And Mortarian doesn't seem aware of this at all. And the fact that Erebus gave these things to Typhon 
you know it's no good. You already know it's rotten. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Typhon doesn't give good gifts. Or um, right. Erebus, rather. <laughs> no. Um, and do you want to talk? So that's kind of the beginning of the story, the beginning of the Death Guard part now, like right before the siege, this is happening. Yes. So, so what about back on Terra? What What's going on there? Yeah. So um, as an overview, the three stories we have oh, are the the prehistory of the Death Guard, the current, you know, history, current history being 30K, not 40K. And then um, this story regarding what's going on in Terra as I guess the universe kind of braces for what's about to be born mm. on its doorsteps. Yes. Uh, so yes. we are back on Terra and we're learning about the Knights Errant. Um, this is the proto Grey Knights, I would say. Is that a fair yep, and accurate turn? to talk about, yep. Yep, we have a few characters from that series. We have uh, Rubio, Varen, Garrow, and Ison. Ison, yep. Yep, and um, this one features Malkador a lot. And I, and he's a character I never understood. And this did not help me at all, Dan. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, they're realizing that pariahs are going missing. They have their own little mystery going on that these psychic nulls are, first of all, going missing, but then reappearing as you know various missions are going underway. They just find a random nulls maiden somewhere hidden in a bunker or something and they send it here and there's immediately a bit of tension in the story uh simply because why does malkador have these null maidens instead of giving them back to their order and that chord is touched on immediately and repeatedly of like (laughs) this is internal heresy this is why gamers can have imperium versus imperium battles (laughs) yes yep um, but we move on to uh, walk in the cities of Terra, and Varen, Ison, and Garrow are engaged with essentially uh, Terra is kind of falling apart as Horus is bearing down on it. Um, there's just a lot going on, and so things like plague flies are coming out. Um, random bands of like chaos worshippers are sprouting up in like the underhives and all these kinds of things. Um, the most recent sources have been old churches, which had been abandoned and, and refall, uh, repurposed by the followers of the Letitio Divinatus. I don't know how to pronounce that. Is that right? Divin, Divinatus. Divinatus. Yep. There we go. <laughs> um, yep. as three night errants board the graph platform, they noticed the swarm of flies on the surface is kind of coalescing around a particular person yep. and Rubio gets there. Ison's with them and, they attack, is it Decius? Decius, yep. Decius, okay. It was the one name where I felt like, I was listening to the audiobook version, I felt like he flip-flopped between pronunciations, and (laughs) I was very confused. (laughs) Yeah, and just to remind people, Decius, again, was uh, a character in the Eisenstein story, and he was a young Death Guard who was under Mm -hmm. the command of Garrow, and during the battle with uh, Grolgor and his corrupted... uh, early version of death card, I guess, of yeah. corrupted death card. Um, he was wounded by a poisoned, you know, Nurgle blade. And he ended up becoming something horrific. He, he ended up becoming something that they ended up uh, calling the Lord of the flies. And he it was like this demonic yeah. creature. Like plague Lord, I guess is what we would call him yep. nowadays. Yep. But, 
Uh, and so they battle with this character. It's, it's a very cool fight scene, I thought. Um, and this yes. is where they find their first Sister of Silence. I kind of skipped yep. ahead on the mystery, but it's a good introduction. No. There, it happens multiple times. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and one of the interesting things with the four uh, individuals that we see, so we know that Rubio is a psyker. You know, he was yes. a librarian guy. And Ison is also a librarian guy. So um, Varen is just, you know, world eater, cool. He, he stayed loyal. Um, and we know who Garrow is. But um, Ison is, has been part of the Grey Knights since the earliest days. So, yep. Sweet. Um, so we go pan back. We're going to do a lot of jackknifing in this story, guys. I'm sorry. I promise. Every time it changes, I'm going to set the scene. But now we're back with current day uh, Death Guard. And Typhon, after they've had their little awkward encounter on the ground, now they're kind of chilling out. Their ships are in orbit together. Uh, and he basically comes to Mortarian, and they're trying to patch things up. Typhon and Mortarian, uh, for example... Uh, Typhon is like, why don't you go command from my flagship, the Terminus Est? Uh, basically trying to make it seem like it's a, you know, show a good, good faith, uh, what do you call mm-hmm. it? Olive branch. There we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and have, you know, have your crews intermingle and that kind of stuff. Of course, Typhon at this point wants their crews to intermingle for various mm-hmm. reasons. Um, instead of his own ship. And as Mortarian gets on this thing, there's like a choking mist on the command deck. Um, and, and there's a whole series where I believe it's right as they're going into the warp. Is that right? Where, yes, this is where it happens where basically a, a sickness starts to bloom in the fleet. Now that they've mingled, you know, the crews together and it happens simultaneously to everybody, the crew and the weird thing. Go ahead. Oh, like, so the weird thing was, as part of this, uh, uh, you know, there have been reports of, of straight, you know, this mist on every ship. Mm-hmm. And so Typhon, of course, being the great guy that he is, he volunteers and says, hey, let me and my crew go to other ships in the fleet. And we want to investigate and see what's going on because this very well could be an enemy thing that's happening. So please allow us to travel throughout the fleet mm-hmm. as and, a disease vector, by the way. And uh-huh. uh, of course, because <laughs> we know what he's, you know, every ship he goes on, you literally can picture him just pushing on his fingernail and releasing a fly on oh, every yeah. single ship, right? He's belching just, like the guy from the Green Mile, and there's just like a flock of locusts coming out of him. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> Right. Um, and yeah, so this that's well, part of it, that it's spreading because, yeah, because Typhon. Absolutely. So. And, and this is where the, the leverage, I think, I felt start to creep into the story, which is because this happened while they're going into the warp and everyone is like, what is this random sickness that went through everybody and could affect space marines? But now mm-hmm. they're in the warp which is a thing that Mortarian doesn't like or understand. So what does he do? He delegates authority to someone who has the vision, which is Typhon. His number two is also a very powerful psychic. And so it's just an interesting, uh, it seems almost like maybe this is a contrived situation to the detriment of Mortarian. Well, yeah, (laughs) the thing, 
the thing that's weird, like it, it contrived is a great word because Typhon comes back after a while and he comes back from his investigative, you know, journey throughout the fleet and he's got a bunch of prisoners with him. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that these prisoners are all from the ships that he had sent those crazy data crystals from Erebus to. Yes. Coincidentally. These are all the same ships, and the prisoners are navigators from those ships. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, wait a minute, what? Like, navigators don't do anything except sit in their funny little rooms and <laughs> do what they do. Yeah. Right? But Typhon is absolutely convinced that these guys have been conspiring against Mortarian and the Death Guard. They want to take them to, like, a, a place that's a black hole because these data crystals – Prove they were proof. You pulled up on a hologram or whatever. This mm-hmm. is where they're going to take us. Is this black hole thing, and they're going to destroy us all? And so, before the conversation goes any further, Typhon basically just pulls out his bolter and shoots them all dead. Yep. Like <laughs> Mortarian hasn't even had like two seconds to react. It's mm-hmm. just like boom, he blows them all away, and then <laughs> then he goes, okay. So you just killed all of our navigators. <laughs> yes, while we're in warp space. <laughs> How the heck are we going to navigate warp space? And Typhon is, hey, I have an idea. Yep. He's like, we got this, fam. <laughs> terrible, terrible stuff. But while this is happening, we also get the beginning of the, the origin story of Martarian. Yes, and I have to say, I um, I absolutely adored the voice actor for this book. I don't remember his name, but his his it's Jonathan Keeble, yeah, yeah his his voice for Materian when he was both a human and as a like later on as the Primarch of the Legion <sighs> is just chilling and perfect. Um, it made <sighs> me love the story of his origins quite a bit more than I thought I would because I had read it on the wiki before, but to hear it told, it was really cool. Yeah, and. So part of you talked about that choking mist that came. It even affected Mortarian, but strangely enough, it, but actually we're not surprised, it didn't affect Typhon. Um, but what it does is it kind of sends Mortarian into this time warp inside of his mind, and he's back on Barbarus, and he's fighting the forces of one of the overlords of mm-hmm. Barbarus. And just to discuss the social strata on the planet, the way this works, we have the lessers, that's exactly what they're called, which are just normal people. Yep. And then we have kind of the middles, who Mortarian ended up being one of them, and there were others who were kind of, you know, in between in the social stratus. They had more stuff. They had more control over what they did. But then we had the overlords. And these mm-hmm. overlords are these weird creature kind of humanoids that literally just fight each other all the time. Yes. And the it's like a great game. The lessers, yeah, it is. That's a good way to put it. Um, and the humans get caught in the middle of this all the time. They're all dying. Yes. They're all being captured and brought back to these overlords for for horrible things that are done to them. And um, so we're brought back. Mortarian's fighting the forces of one of these overlords. Mm-hmm. And you you look at these things and you find out they've been – they're they're kind of like flesh golems, and they've just been thrown together from parts and pieces of 
people, literally the lessers. You know, that's where they came. And he also notices this early in the story that there's these weird triangular buboes on their flesh. They make a point of saying that. We're like, oh, God, Nurgle, Nurgle, Nurgle. Okay, fine, we get it. You know? Yes, kind of rubbing and, the face in it a little bit. Yep. And he's beaten up people, but there's this huge kill beast that does come over and almost kills Mortarion. All of a sudden, this guy comes in, Nakare, who is an overlord, and it turns out that Mortarion is his stepfather. He has adopted mm-hmm. Mortarion in over the years here and he was raised in a stronghold mortarian was that was built for him kind of in the mid levels and he is he is nakare's kind of hammer you know he goes out and fights the other overlords for um nakare uh, mortarian does yep. and that's kind of where we were now we're um we've kind of We'll kind of go, we'll kind of piece together some of this. So, um, continuation, I guess, of the origin story is that Mortarian's up in his, kind of his castle there. Mm-hmm. And he's looking down and he sees these prisoner vehicles where he knows that there are lessers packed into these things that are being taken up to his stepfather's castle to be turned into God knows what. Yeah. And he sees that a young man is fighting back. Um, he's breaking open these uh, vehicles, letting the lessers out so they can run away. And he just looks at this guy and like, I need to help him out. For some reason, he feels inspired. He leaps off the parapet of his stronghold, probably like 100 feet right to the ground, of course. And after the fight, there's some weird references to voices. Oh, oh that's never a good thing. Mm-hmm. And he um, noticed how this youth who turns out to be Typhon in his youth kind of manifested some strange powers. He saw something he could do, you know, this, um, okay. Psyker, psyker, psyker. Um, and as the stepfather, you know, Nakari comes down to see what's happening. Matarian decides to flee the scene with these lessers and Typhon. He, he's, abandoning his life on the planet to this point and he's going to do something else yeah so that's kind of this point that we'll move on to something else in the backstory so, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna inject something here yeah the reason i loved this scene is mortarian is sitting in his little prison slash cottage because it's kind of both yeah. <laughs> um it's, he's it's chilling true. out watching this assault on you know, one of these caravans of, of what is essentially slaves going by and one of them, I believe it is Typhon, um, yells out, like, you can choose to help us. And and it's that moment that Mortarian, like, he goes out and he does all the stuff. And they ask him later, because he doesn't seem like a nice guy. Like, why did you help us? And he's like, you gave me a choice. No one's ever done that before. I was curious. Mm-hmm. And it was just like this whole new world unlocked the minute someone said, you could do something about this. <laughs> he's like, oh, What? autonomy and then that becomes his defining theme is like once you start making choices man the paths become very meaningful but he never had the chance to learn how to do that before now and right because he was always following the orders of his stepfather you're right yes yep and so it's just he's very ill-equipped to make choices (laughs) and the second he had one he rebelled against all security and safety so it's just very interesting 
uh, yes. I thought as as a character piece on Mortarian. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to take over for back on Terra? Okay, sure. So we're back on Terra, and the Grey Knights or the Grey Knight. What that just slipped out. That was the Freudian slip. <laughs> the Knights Errant uh, are split up. So Garrow and we're back with Garviel Loken, which I was so excited for. Uh, because he's in the Siege, and I'm reading the Siege series, of course, and um, it's so cool to have him in this story now, because yes. he is by far, I, he and Garrow rank right up there with my two favorite characters. Anyway, so Garrow meets up with Garville Loken at a secret, it, I don't know if you call it a psyker prison, it's called the White Mountain, mm-hmm. and the White Mountain is basically designed to hold psychers. It's got these null um, stones with etchings on the side and the uh, cells are all way down underneath the ground. And so they're kind of there just talking about what's going on and what this place is and that kind of thing. So Rubio, Varen, and Galor, who is another knight errant, um, are ordered to a site that Malkador the Sigilite has told them to go to. And they find this camp kind of in a graveyard of old ships, like regular sea ships, you know, Navy ships kind of thing. And they find more Sisters of Silence that are being held captive, multiples of them this time. And as they're going through there, they meet another knight. His name is Jotun. And Jotun... Again, you talked about Jonathan Keeble's voice acting is great because he does sound like a, you would expect a space wolf to sound. He yeah, does. He does. <laughs> and Jotun is also a psyker, interestingly enough. Um, and so they um, encounter enemies wearing pressure suits. But when they fire on them, all of a sudden they collapse and they just become clouds of flies. That's all that's inside of these suits. That's so cool. Uh, and in the end... Jotun, because they're just there's so many of them, they just can't deal with them. Jotun actually takes a shuttle, you know, flies it, I don't know, 100 feet into the air, and then crashes it into the camp, and all the fuel and everything else just burns and incinerates all these swarms of flies and anything else, of course, that's there. And <laughs> hi, you know, bye, Jotun. <laughs> <laughs> it was <Yeah>. very quick. <laughs> yeah. Didn't take long. Um, so. I thought, well, I guess here's another, I don't know if it's a quote, but Galor, who's with them, says that they'll honor Jotun's sacrifice. And then Rubio is thinking to himself, so where are you going to do that? <laughs> yeah. Like, he, there's no such place to honor the knight's errant, right? No, Maybe yeah. you want to create such a place. Oh, whoa, ho. Oh. <laughs> you know, oh, I, I wonder where that would be. So it was really kind of interesting that he did say that, and that was the reaction. So um, these tortured sisters that you talked about, that we, we discovered here, they are speaking, which is wrong in the first place. You could tell there was something really, really bad happening to them. And they noticed that there were these kind of psycho-hypno-helmets uh, that they were all attached to and that were in the ceilings and stuff. And so just like they talk about Marines and all the stories going through these hypnogogic indoctrinations, you could tell that there was something going on because, again, the sisters were talking. They never talk. Sisters of Silence never speak. And it seemed like they were just all random words, right? But then Rubio hears 
four words. He hears Horus, Malkador, seek, peace. Yes. There's this like um, resonance so that he can hear it. I thought it was great because you're thinking, why does Rubio hear this now? And then later in the story, you're going, oh, okay, that's why that happened. Um, so that that's kind of where we are on terror right now. And then here we go. We're back in the present, in the warp now. Right. Um, yeah, this is kind of a it's kind of a shorter scene, but I think it exists to show that the tension mm-hmm. is uh, ramping up quite a bit. The yes, yes, yes. the water is beginning to boil for the sad frog, as uh, Zurich, one of our Death Guard, um, he's, he's a younger one. He starts seeking out the contemptor called Bitter Blood, and he's basically like asking about Typhon. He wants to understand because none of this is really making sense. These dudes just came out of nowhere, and now we're best friends, and now we're all dying together. It's kind of strange. He's got a lot of things going on, and as the two of them speak, uh, Zuriac begins to feel feverish and doubles over. Um, starts, you know, barfing all kinds of gross things. There's maggots everywhere. Uh, and he starts basically getting infected. The contempt, or no, not the contemptor, but one of the people shouts contagion over the Vox net. And uh, basically, this is when the disease goes from like, man, how did we all get sick? That was kind of a strange little nausea wave to like a true Death Guard Nurgle thing is exploding mm-hmm. on these ships. Um, mm-hmm. The contagion, as they call it, is going ship to ship, but without any kind of meaning. Like, nobody got transferred from ship A to ship B, but somehow they still got sick together through the void of space. This kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, It's just not making any sense to anybody. But, you know, you have your typical Nurgle whatever. Uh, Mortarian is on his command deck. Very broody. Goes down into the... uh, I can't remember what they call the, the warp room. Like... It's the apothecarium, I think, wasn't it? Where he he went to see Zuriac's body. Was that it? Is oh, that I was thinking of like the navigator's room where they oh, have right. uh, oh, Typhon sure. standing in there directing the ships. Yes, and he's like, uh, "Take us out of warp." Like, there's something going on. Like, whether it's a Gellerfield malfunction okay. or something, we are having trouble, Typhon. <laughs> and Typhon's like, "No." That's that's a bad idea. If we were to come out now, we would all die. And, you know, uh, to make a point, a light cruiser tries to leave the warp without orders and is immediately annihilated as it enters real space. And so there's essentially essentially this thing where Mortarian, the Primarch of the fleet, has no control over it. Like, And that's a... I don't know. He's he's losing that uh, that autonomy and authority that he chose earlier in his previous life. I just like that. It was a good little yeah tidbit. Yeah, and um, before he went down, to, or maybe I think it was afterward for whatever. So um, Mortarian has heard about what's happened to Zuriac, and he mm-hmm. goes down to the apothecarium because he's like in this isolation tube, you know, and he can just tell that he's suffering horribly from what's happening in his body. It's just this diseased remnant of what used to be a space Marine. And he wants to put his son out of his misery. So he goes in, of course, everybody's like, don't go in, you'll get confected, you know, whatever. And he's like, whatever, I'm walking in. He takes (laughs) this huge combat knife out Mm -hmm. and he just buries it in Zuriac's chest. Yep. And 
so everything stops. All the monitors stop beeping. Everything, he's dead. But only for a few moments. All of a sudden, <laughs> he, he bolts upright. He screams. And, and Mortarian just comes to this immediate realization that he cannot end his son's suffering. He can't. Yep. It's out of his control. And he just is... You could just feel the frustration and the anger and the confusion, and he just like, okay, I'm out of here. I, I can't do anything else to try to help my sons. Yeah, and yeah, that was that moment that he knew something was horribly, horribly wrong. And you know, this is Typhon being a bad kitty here, where you know we talk about it spreading throughout the fleet. Well, yeah, who was the last person to go between all the ships? It, like. It, this is no warp miracle here. This yeah. is Typhon and the fingernail fly guy, you know? It's just... <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Of course, nobody knew at the time what Typhon was doing, but... And what's weird is it only took one fly, you know, because it gets into one person, it's infected, and it's Nurgle, and it just spreads just horrible, so virulent. Um, yeah, it just... yeah. Mm -hmm. Crazy uh, stuff. So as Mortarian is losing control, do you want me to take us back to Barbarus? Yeah, sure, please. Okay. So yeah. we hop in our way, way back machine. We're back on Barbarus. And Ooh. this is in the, the months and years following uh, Mortarian's, I guess, resurgence with humanity or reconnection with it. Yeah. Uh, we learn that he's decided to stay amongst their kind, earn their respect. Um, him and Typhon at this point are both like outcasts because nobody likes Typhon because he's a psyker, although they don't recognize that. They just, he creeps them out. And uh, Mortarian is a demigod who just creeps them out because he's terrifying. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've all got their things. Course, but they decided to like, okay, we're going to, we're going to work the fields. We're going to serve these people and earn their respect, earn entry into their tribe, which he does. Um, he keeps them safe, basically says no other overlords are safe on this planet so long as he's alive. And he turns a gaggle of, survivors and refugees into uh, an encampment and a people and or then eventually a small army and uh he's able to bring civilization and safety relative i guess to the people here on barbarous but he wants to go fight his his adoptive father is the real goal and the problem is on barbarous the way the planet is structured is that the higher you go the more toxic the air becomes to the point where there is there is a, a section at which humans just literally cannot go without some kind of build. Um, the flesh golems have weird mask things built into them. It sounds horrifying, but there's no way to do that without, you know, something. And Mortarian for the longest time has thought, well, I can survive that, but these people can't. Um, but I, I need them to help me get into my father's place. I can't take them on by myself. So he starts coming up with a few ideas and I adored this scene. Basically he makes steampunk, uh, yes. hazmat suits. Yes. <laughs> Sounds yes. like something out of Jules Verne. Um, but basically, yeah, like him with his advanced knowledge, just having access to like a sewing machine and leather basically creates these yes. <laughs> environmental suits. And he's like, we're going to get a bunch of people in these. We're going to run up the mountain and we're going to go pick a fight. Um, at the same time, Typhon arrives and he looks at this and he's like, the second you guys get shot, 
there's a hole in that suit and you're going to die very quickly. <laughs> and yep. Just kind of pointing out the obvious. But Typhon says, I have an alternative. And he brings him to, uh, brings uh, Mortarian and the group to his ship where on his adventures out on his own, Typhon was able to defeat and capture one of like the sub overlords. Mm-hmm. And essentially brings him to say, we can use this guy's technology and, you know, they would see it as magics uh, against your dad, Mortarian. We can use the enemy's weapon against them. And this is really where Mortarian digs in and, and, and establishes that line in the sand of like, I am not going to use the weapon of my enemy to be to defeat them. We're not mm-hmm. touching the warp stuff. We're not touching the monster things. We're going to, I'm going to beat him with a scythe in my hand and, or a fist going mm-hmm. through his skull. No other options. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they have this what, back and forth, but yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, you referenced that uh, these things that they were fighting from the overlords were just kind of these flesh golems and they had these masks built into their faces. I, it took me a while to realize that's how the author started the story was these people on Inix, the, the humans that lived there, literally the, the environment was so toxic, like barbarous, where as they were born, they had masks sewn to their faces and their lips were sewn shut. So like <laughs> they had the same kind of weird masks that these golems had on Barbarous. That and is was, that is like an asthma treatment from like, I don't know, Hellraiser or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I just, it took me a while to make that connection and going, mm-hmm. oh, okay, yeah, this is, this is barbarous in the, you know, in the 30th millennium or whatever when they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was just kind of weird how it was that mirror of yeah. both places. Absolutely. And yeah. um the reason that this little history lesson is, is important is because one, it establishes that Mortarian does not like any weapons that he doesn't understand. So mm-hmm. Warpcraft and that kind of thing. But also it shows the division between Mortarian and Typhon in their personalities. Mm-hmm. They're best friends, mm-hmm. most trusted confidants. But at the end of the day, when the chips are down, Typhon is much more willing to mingle with dark forces than Mortarian is. Mm-hmm. And that's going to have its own consequences, as we will see. Yeah, and Typhon, interestingly, you know, you talked about how Mortarian reacted to the idea of using this luminous stuff. Typhon just like, okay, it's cool. Because he knew that it would just take time for Mortarian to come over to his way of thinking. Because he, you know, you just knew there was something talking to him, something guiding him that he had accepted. And he was like, yeah, I'll just buy my time because that's what Nurgle does, you know? Just patience. It's okay. It's cool. Mm-hmm. You'll come to see my way. It may take a long time, but it's going to happen. Um, yeah. So we're back on Terra again. Wow. All right. <laughs> yes. Boom, 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 boom. Yep. And, <laughs> I feel like a pinball. <laughs> so now we have uh, – we already had Garrow and – Others of the Knights Errants, Loken, were all gathered um, on this white mountain, this psycho prison. And Rubio and Malkador arrive now. So they got the whole crew together and Malkador's there as well. And Malkador goes, I'm going to go down into the prison myself. And Garrow's like, you're nuts. I, it, it, the thing that's great <laughs> in this book 
is that Garrow is never afraid to tell Malkador what he thinks. He doesn't care that the guy could blow his head up, right? <laughs> that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard from the oldest man. <laughs> it, right? <laughs> it's just straight goes, up. <laughs> no, you are not going to do that. So a compromise is reached, and Rubio will accompany Malkador because Rubio, and just like Malkador, it, they're both psychers, but it, everything's going to be nullified down there, so it's all cool. Yeah, right. yeah, and the all, idea is that, like, well, you know, if the psychic powers are off the table, at least Rubio's still a space marine. Like, he can still yeah, defend right. you. That's a cool yeah, idea. Yeah, sure. Because you're just an old man. That's yeah. all you Yeah, so, <laughs> so they go down there, and they're listening to the voices of these rescued sisters. You know, they're all over. There's just dozens of them all over the place. Mm -hmm. And Malkador starts getting really agitated, which is never a good sign, because he never gets agitated, hardly ever. But Rubio is triggered by the words that he's hearing. Mm -hmm. So something deep, whenever, was implanted in Rubio. And this is all part of the freaking plan. And you're going, oh, my God, Horus and Erebus and all these guys are just geniuses. And that they, like, this is such deep, deep, deep planning to get this all to go off at the same time. So Rubio is triggered. He kills the administrator of the facility who's with them. And then he turns towards Malkador with his freaking sword. Yep. And you're going, <laughs> Malkador is like, wait a minute. Okay. I, I know I'm unarmed, but what you don't know, and he doesn't say this, but he's like, I have a refractor field. And when, it, <laughs> when Rubio tries to attack him, every time he strikes this field, the field hits him back with equal force and just starts. So <laughs> He's, he's basically hitting himself with his own sword. Oh, yeah, and man. He, he beats himself to a pulp, and he's, like, down on his knees. <laughs> he's got a two-up-re-rollable involve, man. <laughs> exactly. And Malkador just kind of walks up to him, and he touches his forehead, and he reaches inside Rubio because he wants to know what made this happen. Yeah. And so what he sees is he sees Kalth where Rubio was initially, you know, recruited by Garrow. Mm -hmm. And he sees a picture of our bestest friend ever, Erebus, who has implanted this trigger, taking all these dark things from Rubio that he found as he looked into his mind and culminating them um, with this sequence of words, whatever it is. And so the trigger's been pulled now because of that. And this is all Erebus. You're going, my God, that was an age ago. Yep. And, and it was all planning for this moment. So before he allows Rubio's consciousness to return, he picks up Rubio's sword, Malkador does, and he kills all the rescued sisters. <laughs> and you're like, what the frick, man? Like, are you kidding? What? What, what yes. is this? And so then it, this is just Malkador being the most utter – like, I don't care how bad – and Horus is bad and all Erebus is bad and stuff. Malkador is no better. Like, he oh, no. is so manipulative himself. And he – when Rubio gets his mind back, he's like, what happened? Why are they all dead? And Malkador goes, Horus had sprung a trap and the sisters tried to kill me. And you saved my life by killing the sisters because I would have been powerless against them. I couldn't do anything down here. To protect myself, Rubio, you saved me from these sisters that 
Horus set off to kill me here. <laughs> yes. And Ruby was like, sure, okay. <laughs> yeah, gaslight level deity. I love it. He's just... <laughs> Oh my gosh, right? And finally, before they head outside, Malkador gives Ruby a little silver disc, which is kind of interesting because you think about the Lodge medallions, you know? Yeah, I didn't... It, that's yeah, okay. what came to my mind right away. And it has this name, Koyos, on it. And Rubio's kind of looking at it like, okay, that, thank you, you know? Um so this is all going on inside the mountain. Outside the mountain, there are just hordes of chaos followers who are assaulting the mountain now. And during the fight, the Lord of Flies, who was killed by this crashing shuttle before, right? Mm-hmm. Or no, no, it was. I'm sorry, it was. He was killed in this fight that was going on. Uh, Malkador had had uh, Rubio drop down, and they were fighting. So he's been killed once in the story already. He comes back. Yep. And Same now. Book. He's, yeah, which is crazy. So he reappears and he literally almost bites Varen's head off. And I'm going, oh, God, not Macer Varen, man. He was one of the originals. <laughs> oh, I was so mad when they killed Varen off. And, of course, I'm reading the book. Garrow was really pissed off. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> this is just too much, man. Um, and all the other memories that Gero had of, you know, Decius who was corrupted. There was an apothecary who was corrupted. Mm-hmm. All these people that he cared about were destroyed by this Nurgle curse. Um, and he basically just takes two swords and he slices off the freaking thing's head. <laughs> and that was great. But then while this is all happening, this is all so nurgly. And you're going, how did this all get on Terra, right? That, mm-hmm. That's the question I was asking. Like, what what is all this manifesting here for? Um, so uh, there were these maggots that just kind of came out of the ground, like, like there was a warp thing going on. Yes. And what they did was they grabbed onto Varen's corpse and then he became possessed. Um, and... Um, Loken, of course, is fighting there with Garrow, and they're they're going through stuff. And Varen is being possessed by these maggots, you know, to turn into a Nurgle thing. But there's enough of him left, and you know, this is just so wonderful. At least that he died, but he dies a hero, and he, you know, he immolates himself basically because he grabs a belt of crack grenades, runs mm. away from Loken, and runs away, and then just his body is just destroyed, right? Yep. Um, and then all these parts and pieces, Doug, they start knitting themselves together again. And you're going, dude, just cannot die. <laughs> My God. And then, of course, our buddy Malkador comes. He goes, that will not do. This this just isn't a good thing. And he basically just points his, his weird little iron staff with the tiny flame at the, at the tip. He points it out at all this Nurgle stuff and these chaos guys and these maggots and every, all these body parts. It just incinerates everything. Yeah. And basically, meanwhile, meanwhile, Logan's holding the dead head of Varen, been like, you could have been here five freaking minutes ago. <laughs> we wouldn't be dealing with this. Oh my gosh, yes. And so he casts all this stuff back into the warp. And meanwhile, well, this is all going on. There's sabotage, there's insurrection, the warp manifestations all over terror that are going on. 
this is this is the pre-invasion. This is Horus's preparing of uh, Terra for his coming. Is what this all is. Um, and we finish this scene where the knights errant that are there. Um, there's several of them. I think there's like eight or nine now. Mm-hmm. Um, they get into a transport and Malkador takes them all uh, back to the palace. And one of the final scenes is when they land, he sees Jotun, who was the guy who everybody thought died in the crash of that shuttle. Well, yes. he didn't die in the crash, which was really kind of cool because Jotun's kind of a fun character. Um, so that's where we are. We're back in the palace in this place with Malkador and all the knight errants that are left. So, yes. All right. Um, now, with that story complete, we're going to go back to Barbarous. I almost forgot the name of the planet. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Um, and establish that Mortarian and what he calls his Death Guard, which are the humans in yeah. leather hazmat suits, um, they basically reached a point where they've defeated all the overlords except um Nakari, which is his stepfather mm-hmm. um he and his chosen men uh they all basically start going up into the upper echelon of the clouds where their special suits need they're needing them for breathing other um as they approach the stronghold though they are assaulted by flaming projectiles that are seeking them out essentially like tiny little tracer rounds if mm. you can imagine it and just like type uh Typhon said, the second their suits are breached, they they start to die very, very quickly. Um, The forces basically have to withdraw, which ticks off Mortarian because, again, he feels like he's being held back. I can breathe this. You guys can't. Uh, And so it's really it's just defeating for him, uh, which is a thing that he is just not used to. Um, when they get back to their village, there was a strange um, ship that had arrived that people were calling the Hawk. Uh, there was also a stranger in the village, and mm. he offered Mortarian to bring Barbarus into the Imperium. But Mortarian's like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and says that he basically wants to be the one to kill this last overlord. And if he can't, uh, then sure, if I can't kill him, then I will I'll bow knee to you. But if I do, then I get to keep my planet. Yep. And so what we know now is that this is the emperor of mankind who realized his son was alive, came down, and was just trying to politely invite him into the Imperium. <laughs> <laughs> and Mortarian was like, no, I have my own quest that I'm on. And so we get this situation where the scene kind of ends with Mortarian being like, okay, chips are on the table. Um, I have to go up there by myself and defeat him because that's the only option now. And so that's kind yes. of where it ends. Okay. All right. Um, and whoosh, we're back <laughs> on the Terminus Est now. In Present the history, yes. <laughs> and Mortarian is just walking down the halls of the Terminus Est at this point. His legionnaires everywhere are just suffering and screaming in agony and he he just looks at even his ship, you know, this beautiful warship is starting to decay and rust. And he's he's just looking all around and he he, he just it must just be this utter despair that mm-hmm. he is in right now and utter helplessness. And for a Primarch, just an unknown feeling at this point. But he does meet up with Typhon again, still Typhon, 
who admits, he says, hey, you know what? I murdered the Navigators. Yep. I trapped the Legion here because I thought it was time for you to see, and this is one of the first times we hear it, what the Grandfather could do for you. Yes. <laughs> He's, he goes, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When, when you first left the fleet, um, he tells him about what happened on Zaramunda. Like, oh, so you found an awakening, right? And Mortari is like, this is just horrible. This is just malicious. Mm-hmm. I'm going to order you right now. Just stop it. Return the fleet to real space now. And Typhon's like, no, screw you, man. I'm not bringing it back. Because Typhon knew he was in this position where he he just had the upper hand. Yep. And so, <laughs> my gosh. And so a confrontation begins between the two of them. So Primar, the Mortarian and Typhon are fighting. Typhon's grave wardens get dug in with the death shroud, you know, the bodyguards of each one of them. And Mortarian thinks he's killed Typhon because he slashed him with, you know, silence, his big giant uh, scythe. But no, he's like, Typhon's not dead. He doesn't die. And then Typhon slashes Mortarian with a poison blade. And Mortarian's like, this is not going well. So he ends up having this special device that he can create this little teleportal. And he brings Grolgor, who he's had captured, you know, in his ship, into the chamber and orders him to kill Typhon. Because Grolgor, the whole story was like, please, master, please let me do your bidding. Let me kill for you. I just, all I want to do is kill stuff for you, for Martyrian. And (laughs) so Grolgor reaches over and starts choking Typhon. And then all of a sudden, the two of them begin to laugh, and you're going, oh, my God, I don't believe this. Uh-huh. It's like, this is the basis of betrayals. Yes, and, I know. And it made no sense to me how you would fall for this. Like, demon of no. Nurgle, kill this servant of Nurgle. And they both just high-five. Well, it's just like, of course they will. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so, Grolgor says, hey, I'm going to die. I want to die. It's cool. It's all right, right? And he dies, and he kind of collapses in this, as everything here does in this story, collapses into a huge swarm of plague flies. And they attack Mortarion, they attack the Grave Wardens, they attack the Death Shroud, everything. And then, after they've attacked all these things, all these people, they go back into Typhon, like right throwing down his throat, right? And you see this hideous transformation of Typhon into the Typhus we know in 40K with the huge destroyer um, hive on his back yes. and those big, big tubes coming out, the big uh, horn on his forehead. He's turned into that thing. If you can picture that model, this is what the story is showing us. Yes. Um, Making and- him the first to, I think, willingly cross that Rubicon, right? We have mm-hmm. things that we've, we reference as de- of uh, Death Guard with like, plague marines and stuff like that but up until now everything has just been space marines plagued but this is like i'm i'm the guy i'm in it (laughs) yep yep it is and uh so typhon basically tells mortari you know i your my surrender right now to the warp and accepting of the grandfather's gifts 
this has been something that I've been working on since I first took you to my ship and told you about this guy who offered these things we could do. And he's like, you know what? He looks at Mortar and he's like, you're the one who's been playing around with the warp. You're the one who resurrected Grolgor. Yep. And you just made all this worse by doing that and pretending that nothing was happening. And, and he's got a great point, though. He does, yeah. I mean, because just like when they were referencing the conversation in their like prehistory, there is going to be a point where like you need to address, you know, the unknown. Like you can't you can't ignore it forever. You can't use the warp for travel and then say we need to eliminate it. Like it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and yeah, so, yeah. It's just like all that hypocrisy just kind of just kind of coalesced in one moment. Yeah, and. So why don't you take us back, my friend, to the final push that Martyrian makes to kill his stepfather? Because he's made this commitment to the Emperor, right? Uh, yeah, so the bargain is, can Mortarian go up and personally defeat his stepfather? Um, Mortarian starts making his way up the hill and climbing alone into an exceptionally toxic environment. Mm. And he has assumed this whole point that humanity has been slowing him down. That he can take it, but they can't. And then he starts to hit this point where he's not enough. Like, even his superhuman physiology, whatever, begins to kind of break down. The lungs be kind of start to struggle to function. And uh, he basically drops his scythe. It, like, starts to decay in real time and rust away. And uh, Nark Nikari, I believe that's how it's pronounced, uh, watches his foster son and as he starts to die. And then Mortarian hears a voice which we we understand as Nurgle, but he doesn't understand that. Um, it says, defiance is not enough. You must become. And before that thought could finish, it is drowned out by a newcomer who comes down and kills Nakare with a single blow from a flaming sword. So um, rather than... I guess dropping to the floor, his body just kind of bursts into ash. And this stranger looks at Mortarian with a face full of compassion and says, you will not perish this day, my son. It's just very um, Mufasa-esque. And (laughs) and Mortarian had been robbed of what he wanted. He actually wanted to finish defending the people that he started. And so he looks at the emperor dead in the face and says, I will always hate you. Which is just like, you know, I don't know, I don't have any kids, man, but that's a rough start to being a parent. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, it is horrible. Just horrible. Um, but oh. at this point, like by the rules that Mortarian agreed to and has lived by, he's functionally the property again of the Imperium now. Mm-hmm. He just became a part of something bigger rather than making something himself and so yeah there is that very very deep resentment in him for yeah anybody being in charge of him except for him yeah um and so then we teleport back onto the terminus est and mortarian walked away from typhus because he's typhus now he's not typhon anymore and he ends up in one of the landing bays and he kind of looks out at space, you know, because there's 
it's open to space except for a, a screen holding the atmosphere in. And he, he's just feeling despair and rage, frustration. He feels helpless. And he just screams into the warp, which is outside of that screen. You know, what do you want of me? What do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the buzzing voice, we quoted it before, basically says, you have to surrender your soul. That's what will end all this misery for your sons, for yourself, because he actually saw these buboes of triangles appearing on his own flesh now. And even his, you know, Primark physiology couldn't fight it off. And he finally is just like, you know, it's decay versus defiance. Nurgle said to him, defiance is not enough, right? You, you quoted him. And Mortarian finally just gives himself over now. And yep. literally there's this really cool description of the transformation as he becomes a demon Primarch now, literally. These wings sprout from his back and it just he becomes this huge monstrosity that we, we see the model of, you know, in 40K. Yes. And uh, yeah, so that's the moment that he gives himself over and things go back to normal, right? Yeah, absolutely. Everything's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that really is, like, I think, the true climax of the book, right? That's that's how yes. we establish the rebirth of the Death Guard. Yes. Um, just as he had to submit under the boot of the Emperor, now he submits under the boot of Nurgle. It's a very tragic story that repeats itself. Um, mm-hmm. But we have some, some last finishing points here as we uh, pan back to Terra for one last time. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. Back on Terra, Garo has moved into basically a chamber that's deep below the palace. He finds Euphrates Keeler, who was uh, ah. someone he knew from the original book series, uh, yep. locked away in a cell. And they have a good conversation that kind of sets him on his final course for the siege. Because at this point, they're they're at the doorstep of Terra. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. by the time yes. this is happening to Garo, all of those things have already transpired in the warp. And they're about to just unleash on Terra. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, uh, he goes to Malkador, who has a little meeting, and he tells them that they have been prepared for a greater task uh, than fighting Horus at the siege. And they're all just like, there, there's literally nothing bigger than that. That is everything. Um, basically, it looks like he's paving the road for the Grey Knights, right? This is this moment right. where he takes... Exactly his best and brightest into one direction. He's like, we're going to forge this into an official force uh, to act as basically the demon hunters of the emperor. But conversely, there are 10 knights and only nine of these coins that he has been giving out to join this order. (laughs) Garo has not been given one. Um, and, And at this point, Garo... Basically, what that means is he didn't get hired into the Grey Knights, <laughs> to put it yes. very flatly. Uh, he understands that his destiny is somehow tied to Keeler, like basically mm-hmm. the first prophetess of the Emperor. Right. But there's not really a clear decision on where to go with that. Um, before he leaves, he basically has a touching moment with Rubio where they kind of, I don't know, just kind of reconnect. There, there was a lot of division yes. and strife in this story that pulled them apart. But at the end of the day, they were like good dudes um 
uh, the other nine leave, and the knights are in the presence of the emperor who speaks to them about the war against demons that was going to be fought after the war with Horus. And so basically inducting them into the first ranks of the Grey Knights personally, which is interesting. I thought it came yes. after, but mm-hmm. he apparently knows what's going to be going on after the events of Ta- Terra coming up here. So that's interesting to think about. <laughs> um, and finally, Loken decides to refuse Malkador's offer and remains on Terra as the other eight disappear into the warp. Um, yep. So... We basically have Garo and Loken who are kind of like fully detached from any responsibility at this point. Yes. Garo is on a high point in the palace looking down um, at all the activity as basically the defenses are being laid by Dorn and all these things. And he basically asks himself, is he ready to lay down his life for the Emperor? And before he can really come up with an answer, Loken appears and holding Rubio's Gladius, which they basically, it's, it's a subplot, but they all gave up things so that cool. reminded them of their own home and origins. <laughs> um, and they finish the Oath of Moment together. So basically it's their brotherhood of two is just Loken and mm-hmm. Garrow doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I I like the fact that, you know, Loken, everybody heard the Emperor's message to the group. Yes. But Loken heard something different. And that was really cool. I, you know, he didn't hear about, I mean, he heard, but the emperor, you know, in his way told him, this is not your path. You know, these, you need to do something else. Your, your destiny lies somewhere else. And that was cool that he received a message. I, I almost wonder if Malkador didn't even realize that that was going to happen. You know, and mm-hmm. so Loken was able to make that choice. And, you know, it's funny because like in the book, Garrow feels so alone. Like he has no brothers. He has no brotherhood. Yep. He has nothing to your point. You know, they're kind of he's kind of on his own. And then Loken comes and stands next to him. And I think that's so cool that two iconic characters in the heresy are brothers now together they're gonna whatever this future holds in the during the siege they're gonna be there for each other in their own way and i i thought that's a really neat way to end the story i thought so Uh, as well and um i mean i couldn't help but to think to myself when they because like he he specifically malkador let garrow go like untethered him first and then after that (laughs) loken was like "Ah, i don't want to do this and joined him but when he un, you know, released Garrow, I was just thinking, man, if you think like the Space Marine retirement plan is bad, wait till you hit the unemployment line on Terra. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Your boy's gonna have a really rough time having no purpose in life. Oh, uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think it's gonna be a really epic story when they show back up. Yes, yes, absolutely, and. Um, I'm looking forward because it's not really a big spoiler, but you know, obviously Loken and Garrow are going to be involved in the Siege of Terra series. Okay. Um, but it's it's really cool to have read through the books and see where they each end up. Um, the last book's coming out now. It's it is out on audio, um, nice. but I, I know in one of the books, you know, there was this moment for Loken, there was this moment for Garrow, mm-hmm. and they're both really cool things. You know, we got closure for one. We didn't get closure for the other. And you're just like, oh, man, this is 
epic. This is so cool. And when you think about all the way back to the beginning of the heresy and where Loken was as a Luna wolf and where, you know, in those first two or three, four books where Gero was as a death guard, how far this story has progressed and how much they've been through. It's pretty neat that the authors to me could tie all these things together and make it seem like it all fit, you know, and it Mm -hmm. didn't seem forced in a way. And I really enjoyed that about this book. Yeah, I um, I will say I, I've really become a fan more and more of James Swallow's work just because uh, it, it feels like you're reading a movie. You know what I mean? Like an action movie. Like you can see the scene changes. Obviously, it's a bit abrupt when we have to keep telling you, and now we're back here, and now we're back here. But like, it flows a lot simpler when you read it or listen to it. Yes. Um, but it's just incredibly entertaining from start to finish. I felt like the themes of you know, decay, despondency, uh, yielding and giving up your will is just a very, they're hit in different directions, but they all kind of, you know, cause like the three different stories are different characters and time periods, but they all resonate really well. I thought, mm-hmm. um, any other final thoughts on the book here? No, just, it was such a great, um, transition, um, from one set of books to the next, you know, final part of the heresy. That was really, really a good bridge. So, yeah, yeah. I think my favorite scene, if I had to pick one, was definitely the end where Mortarian confronts Typhon, <sighs> then becoming Typhus. Like that fight scene where <sighs> they're in like the like the navigator's room, so it's like a big galaxy star map kind of thing surrounding them, and they're fighting in the <laughs> shadows of it. It just sounded really cool. <laughs> yes. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, And for our next book, we're going to be reading Betrayer, a novel by uh, author Aaron Dembski-Bowden, who is one of my absolute favorites. Um, I could gush on that guy all day. But uh, you pointed out that this is a good book because it's set further along in the heresy, and we're seeing a lot of the characters we've been introduced to uh, basically acting as they normally would during the heresy, right? So instead of origin stories, now it's like, what is is the meat of this conflict? (laughs) Right. Um, and so I, I actually have never read Betrayer, so I'm very interested to. Uh, ADB, the author, is so prolific. I just I can't keep up with how much he writes. Sure. <laughs> and and so, think, or at least coming into it later in life, you know, you're reading, trying to catch up. So. And I think another thing that you're going to like about this is this is kind of uh, post-Calf. So this is post right mm. after Corferon did his surprise attack. Um, because Lorgar and the rest of the word bearers are something else, you know, someplace else. They're not there. Yes. And, um, that's one of the things I think that makes this pretty interesting. Um, I dig it. Okay, sweet. I'll look into that. Uh, so it's like the other half of the Calf conflict, right? What the other half of the Legion's doing. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm so interested in that. Okay, sweet. So we'll do that. Uh, friends, if you have any comments or questions about the uh podcast or listening today please leave those in the comments down below we'll try to uh, respond to those at the beginning of the next episode and uh dan do you have any final thoughts for the audience no just i hope you enjoyed this story it's again um it's i think essential reading if you decide not to do any of the rest of the heresy um there's some things that will be out of context a bit but i think if you listen to this episode 
and then you start reading the seed, you'll have a little better idea of what's going on. So, absolutely sweet. Oh, well, I have nothing else other than just to uh, read. What is it? Betrayer with us, and we'll be talking about yep. that probably in three to four weeks. And uh, yep. thank you all so much for watching and listening. And until we meet again, may the emperor protect. Mm-hmm.